is the Rams Review Podcast. Discussion, insights, interviews and analysis. All passion, all Derby County. The Rams Review Podcast is proud to be part of the Fan Hub 100, where fans come first. So, to preview the game Monday night, uh, Sky yet again deciding to uh, change Derby's fixture list a little bit around. Um, looking forward to the game against QPR, we are delighted to say that we've got Ian McCulloch, uh, senior football writer for West London Sport, covering QPR. Ian, absolute pleasure to meet you. Thanks for joining us on the podcast. No worries, Jason. Thanks for having me. Right, well... <sighs> QPR, let, let's face it, let's get let's get the elephant out of the room early on. Derby and QPR have got a great history over the last five or six years um, for, for various reasons. But I'm, I'm, we, we normally bring those up in these conversations, but I'm not I'm not going to on this one. I think I think enough water has passed under the bridge, uh, to be honest. And let's face it, QPR are doing a little bit better than Derby so far this season. Um, Ian, I'm, I'm sure you've seen the majority of the games, if not all of them. Just, just what has QPR's form been like to uh, performance-wise so far this season? It's been pretty good. I mean, it goes back really to I think I saw stat today over a calendar year that over forty-two games they they would have accrued sort of seventy-one points. That's going back from sort of January last year where they were this time last year they were kind of uh, fourth or fifth from bottom and um, brought in some players like Charlie Austin, Sam Field, Jordi Devis, and um, Stephen Johansson on loan and the second half of last season they turned it around completely and you know finished ninth with I think three points outside the playoffs and um they signed all their players on a permanent deals in the summer and this season they've been they've been pretty good they've lost five times um but three of the five they played were Fulham Bournemouth and West Brom all all the way from home and uh their other defeats have come against Peterborough uh and um uh, Bristol City game at home, which really was a bit of a smash and grab for Bristol City, who had two shots on goal, one in the last minute of the first half and one in the last minute of the second half. But either side of that, Rangers really should have had them out of sight. But um, they've, they've been OK. I mean, it's been patchy. Uh, they've, they've been playing. They've been getting results in recent sort of six games without playing brilliantly. They've been picking up points. Uh, one away at Cardiff, beat Luton the other night. Um, but it's just about... I mean, you know, it's like with the championship, you're playing every two or three days almost. Um, and you mentioned, you know, the Sky have moved so many I think Rangers have been on Sky 12 times this year. So they've been moved, you know, playing for, I think they haven't had a home game on a Saturday since early October. And the next home game on a Saturday is December the 17th. So it, it's been very stretching the squad and what have you. So they're kind of, I think, staying in and around the playoffs has been, has been, you know they they've done quite well to do that given the squad isn't the biggest but um in the championship everyone beats each other so it's just a case of just surviving really isn't it and just you know hanging in there yeah i think so i think it's one of the things as well Corey, isn't it that you know you, a couple of things that you've just said there Ian. derby um obviously their fixture against bournemouth at the weekend wasn't on the saturday but that was certainly the first weekend home fixture 
that Derby have had since, I think, the end of September. And our next one, I think, is a week before the 17th of December. We got, I think, it's Blackpool at home. So there is a there is a there is nearly a two-month window there where we've not had three o'clock football on a Saturday at home mm. for, for the fans. And, you know, something else to, to kick Derby fans while they're down at the moment with, with things that are going off. Um, but I just want to touch on that point that you've said there. Almost... Almost an ideal start to the season, I suppose. You're inside; they're inside the top six QPR. Um, they're going well. Looks like they know where the net is. Okay, you know they're probably conceding one or two more than they'd like to be, but they've probably still not hit full gear. But they sat sixth after what is it? Nearly half this. Well, we're, we're coming up to the halfway point. It's not a bad position for them to be in. If you know, like you say, the fixtures come thick and fast. We know the run now up till Christmas is is chaotic at best. If QPR can get themselves the other side of Christmas and still be in and around it, they've got a real chance, haven't they? I think they do. I think I'm, I'm always wary about... I mean, this time last year, I had Blackburn going up because they absolutely battered QPR at Ewood Park. Um, 3-1, it could have been 5 or 6, really. And they looked such a good side. But then after Christmas, they fell away like a... like Dropped like a stone and finished 15th. So... It, it, the championship can come back and, and, and bite you so easily. Same year, Reading last year, they went really well and then missed out. Um, finished seventh, I think. And then Forrest, oh, so memorably two years ago, I mean, you guys probably still laughing about that. You know, the greatest choke in championship history. So you, you, you always, you wouldn't say, yeah, definitely they should be in the playoffs, but they're, 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 they're probably in the best position they've been in since they got relegated in 2015. But they've really had to kind of clear house, get big earners off the wage bill and sort of bring the young kids through, make some astute signings for free transfers, that kind of thing. And I mean, for them, they, they've got their house in order. They really they really have because it was the club was a complete mess, you know, you know after coming down from the Premier League. You know, you, you touched on, you know, the elephant in the room, but, you know, it's they were pretty lucky to go up in to win that game against Derby. But... I think any element of luck they had was all used up on that day. Everything since has been pretty pretty bleak, to be brutally honest. Um, but the, the club's in the best position it's been in on and off the field probably in in, in 15 years. Because, Ian, I, I remember the, the documentary. I guess it's infamous. I guess it's called yeah. the, the four-year plan with QPR. And they had Tony Fernandez, and he was talking about, oh, we want to do this. And then he was talking about, randomly the quality of napkins that they had in the uh in the club seats to that minute detail and everything like that and he always had kind of a flair for um making qpr a big team and so um getting getting the house in order how difficult has it been has it been a tony fernandez directed thing is he kind of taken a step back and let other people do what they need to do to clear the house and how tough has it been because we've seen that darby's obviously not tried to get their house in order, although they like to say that they have tried to. And then obviously next season, Darby going to have to do that. How difficult is it while you're still trying to remain in a division and still trying to somewhat compete? Because if memory serves, I don't think QPR has necessarily been in a relegation battle for a while either while they've been trying to do this. Yeah, I mean, Fernandez has made a lot of mistakes, but to his credit, the four-year, the five-year plan, four-year plan, um, that was the previous owners. That was... Brie Tory and um, Bernie Eccleston were owning the club. That's then. right, it was. And right. the actual, I mean, basically they came in with the club. I'm going to sort of go back a bit, sort of 20 years ago, the club went into administration, dropped down to league, what the old, what was then um, Division Two, 
and Division Three, and um, yeah, the, the club was a mess. But there was never any infrastructure there. So when the new owners came in with loads of money, they almost put the roof on first, but didn't worry about the foundations. And then when they sold it to Fernandez, Fernandez came in. The club's in the Premier League, and it was just about buying names, buying name players to try and stay in the Premier League. But when the whole club's built on, you know, poor foundations, then it it never lasts. And you see the clubs that have gone up to the Premier League, clubs like I know they're not in the Premier League now, but Stoke, um, Bournemouth as well. When you have got kind of well-run clubs that can, you know, they're from the bottom up, you can kind of sustain yourselves in the Premier League for a bit longer than QBR did, which basically they, they stayed up luckily for one year when, you know, the Aguero goal, that match, they managed to survive that season, went down the following year, went up, you know, after beating Derby, went straight back down again. And there was no, nothing there for the club. The, the academy was a mess. The training ground was a mess. There was nothing there apart from big owners on the wage bill. So they brought in a new CEO, which has really helped to kind of get the club in order. But Les Ferdinand was brought back about six years ago as director of football. And, you know, he took a lot of stick. He's a club legend at QPR, but he took a lot, a lot of stick at first because he was making decisions that weren't popular. And Tony Fernandez is, all he wanted to be is loved. So he'd go on Twitter and say, we're going to buy this player by that player. But, you know, if you start listening to the fans in, on Twitter, you're going to be sitting with them very soon because as a, as a club, because do you know what I mean? There's no... Fans will want buy this player, buy that player, spend this money, but that doesn't guarantee success. I mean, Derby can you, you can attest to that. Um, and with Ferdinand, they just had to make tough decisions, but they also got hit with a sixty million pound fine as well. For you know, and quite rightly, they would they would breach FFP to get promoted, and you know, you break the rules, you get you get they're fine. It's quite right. And to, to be fair to the, the owners, they've actually warned that and said we'll pay it, we'll pay it off. You know, that's not going to be impinged on the club. We've made mistakes. We'll do it. And um, the owners have been pretty good, to be fair. They've learned from the mistakes. That they're in the middle of building a new training ground now. They've provided money when they've had to. Uh, the club's no longer under transfer embargo. So it's almost they've come through, you know, the hardships and, you know, starting to see those tough decisions that were made and tough to, you know, because it's pretty bleak for three years. They weren't winning very often. There was, you know, poor players signed because you can't buy decent players when you haven't got any money. You just buy a team that's going to try and keep you in the, in the division. And, um, you know, guys like Chair, Elias Chair, have come through the academy. Barry Eze come through the academy. They're able to sell him for big money to Palace. And then that money has been used to kind of bring in guys like Chris Willock for, you know, he was signed for like 600 grand, which is a steal really for what he'd be worth now. So it's, things have been done the right way, but it's taken a lot of hardship to go through to get, to do things the right way. And I think you know, for a club like Derby, a huge club like Derby, you know, I think that that's kind of got to be the template of where you go now. You almost take your medicine and then, you know, start from the bottom and start again. Ian, there were four players that I wanted to talk to you about uh, for QPR and two of them you just mentioned there. One's Elias Chair and then one is obviously Chris Willett. Um, how, how good are they? I've seen, I've seen QPR, like you said, they've been on TV quite a bit every time I turn it on here. Uh, QPR's on. I'm like, oh, Christ, QPR's on again, you know. Um, but Chair always seems to to light up a match. He seems to have a little bit of, I'm not going to say a little bit of Jack Grealish about him, but he's got that low center of gravity. He can, he's, he's got a, a trick in him and a move. He's got a little bit of pace and acceleration. And then, obviously, we saw Chris Willick's finish uh, from, from Route 1 kind of football at the weekend against Luton. Um, 
how how good are they and, and how instrumental are they in the success of QPR this season? Yeah, both have been huge. Um, they really are the kind of the key attacking players in the team. Um, in the striking department, Dykes, Dykes, Austin and Andre Gray have kind of rotated as, as strikers for fitness and form reasons, etc. Um, but those two have been played pretty much every game this season. Um, Chair has been there probably, I think they signed him as like a 16-year-old from, he got released from a club in Belgium and they brought him through and he, when Eze was there, he was kind of Eze's backup, if you like. He'd come on for 20 minutes and then Eze was sold and then, you know, he was given the chance to kind of make the shirt his own. And he, he, last season was his first full season and uh, he did okay. He did okay. And then once some players were signed in the summer, that uh, sorry, in the in the January transfer window, his form improved, better players around him. and uh, But he really has gone from strength to strength. He's He's now... He's 24 now, so he's not a kid anymore. And um, yeah, he, he's, he's he's a real talent. They'll, they'll struggle to keep him in the summer. He'll probably be the next. If they don't go up, he'll probably be the next one. You know, sold for big money. You know, like Eze was. And um, and Willock's been a good story actually because he was signed pretty much as bright as say Samuel's replacement. They were trying to get Samuel to sign a contract last year. He wouldn't sign, so he was sold to Fenerbahce in January, and then. Willett, when he first signed, he looked a little bit lightweight, a little bit kind of in-game management wasn't great. You could see he had something about him, but he didn't look the finished article. Hadn't played many games. I think he had a loan spell at Huddersfield from Benfica before QBR signed him. And they picked him up for, I think it was 600, 700 grand, something like that. And once Samuel left, he then got his chance in the team and he's kind of flourished, really. He's got better and better. He's got stronger got tremendous ability he really does he's you know he can finish he can beat a man he's got a good pace and he's playing with confidence now and he's really been you know a real key player for, for QPR this season and he's another one you think well if they don't go up are they going to be able to keep hold of him but, uh, I guess the same I guess the same could be said for Rob Dickey I know Rob Dickey from his time at Oxford I know Derby were interested in him as, well as a host of other clubs that wanted to get him um, before he signed for for QPR and I believe that he had a little bit of a rocky start to his QPR career. I don't, I don't think a lot of the fans thought he was as dominant as what they thought he was going to be, but it seems like he's continued to grow and develop and he's becoming that center half that QPR really need and that you can really build a back line around in this division. Yeah. I mean, the way that Warburton likes to play, he likes to, you know, play from the back. It's very, um, I guess, easy in the eye, but they have been the way, you, you know, the, the byproduct of that is you're good going forward, but they have been a bit loose at the back. Um, tightened up a bit last year. They were looser, you know, had a heavy defeat at Fulham. Um, you know, letting late silly goals to lose matches against Bristol City, as I already mentioned. Um, but Dicky, he's he he did okay last year. I mean, he's probably been the best centre half down there for a long time, really. He's good in the air, he's very good with the ball at his feet, he can bring it out from the back. He's got you know, can score a goal, he's got a great shot on him. Um, and yeah, he's he's looked very strong. I mean, the the, the 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 kind of change with QPR's form as well. I should have mentioned earlier on that they went from playing a, a flat back four to a, a back three. You know, and that's really made Dicky playing as the centre of the back. You know, the sweeper role. It really suits his kind of game. Um, yeah, and you know, losing Samuel when they did, right? Say Samuel, they that that that, that pace that wide the outlet. So that's another reason why they went to a three-five-two. 
Um, and that's probably the reason why they've done so well, because it, it suits the players they have. There's a, there's a system that all the teams coming through at 21s, 18s, are all playing a similar way. And so when guys are coming into the side, they they they, they fit in quite quite effortlessly. But 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 Dicky, yeah, he's another one. You think if they think go up, he'll probably go as well. Um, but that's what you have to do. Clubs like QPR, that's what we they've always done historically. Back going back to the eighties and the set, you know, you sell one, you bring another one in. I remember they sold Andy Sinton to Sheffield Wednesday for you know a couple of million in the mid nineties and bought Trevor Sinclair from Blackpool for four hundred grand and then sell him on for that's what you have to do you can't when QPR as historically as a club go out and splash cash then it doesn't work the way QPR have had success over the years is to you know buy shrewdly and sell on for big money and then reinvest that money into the team and and improve it I think Brentford have been you know a prime example of how to do things you sell Watkins you sell Ben Rama you buy Ivan Tony and then you invest the money and, and get promoted that's kind of what you know, the blueprint has to be for clubs like QPR and, you know, the clubs that aren't doing that, you know, have, have, have are struggling now. Yeah, you do need to have, sell a player, hopefully buy two players, then you can start to see mm. the team shape take places. You kind of go down the generational list of players, you look at, okay, that so sold for two, they were sold for four, they were sold for, you know, six players and whatever. And then your club also, like you say, is, is financially um, more stable, which obviously in today's game, it's all about finance and everything like yeah. that. Jason? Yeah, two two other players that I want to quickly touch on before we uh, I, I get your thoughts on Mark Warburton, Ian. Um, as you say, QPR have been on I've been on Sky quite a bit, and one position that's definitely up for debate at Derby is the goalkeeper. I want to talk about QPR's goalkeeper in Seni Dieng. Every, every time I've seen him, he looks a real decent goalkeeper what, what's is it am I right is, is that what he's been like for the whole of um, all of the season and um, you know is he is he a real safe pair of hands in between the sticks yeah definitely he, he's been a real um he was loaned out to Doncaster in Warburton's first season and he was kind of knocking around the 23 size the reserves they weren't too sure what whether there was any you know whether he was good enough to to um you know, play championship level, but he, he really benefited from being out on loan at um, at Doncaster. And I think prior to they had a loan at, spell at Dundee in Scotland. But um, yeah, he's been, I'd say a revelation. Yeah, he probably has because all goalkeepers at championship level or professional level, they're all good shot stoppers. They're all, that's what they do. But you judge a goalkeeper boy, what he's like catching crosses, organising the box, and he's great here. He looks dominant when he comes for crosses and the defence are instantly more comfortable with him behind them. And Rangers have looked a lot more solid with him between the sticks. And last season, you know, you can count mistakes. I don't think he made a mistake. I can't really recall him making any real, you know, bloopers last year. Um, this season, you know, he made a terrible one in the defeat of West Brom. I don't know if that was on the sky. I don't know if you saw that where he, you know, he just threw one in. It happens, but that's the, you know, but the previous goalkeepers, Joe Lumley, Liam Kelly, who've both now left the club, that wasn't unusual for it to happen. You'd kind of think you're going to dive over one here or he's going to go between his hands. That was happening. With Senny, that generally doesn't happen. He does often save them. And from a goalkeeper, that's what you want, really. Just catch the ball. <laughs> don't throw it in. Um, but aside from that, you know, that one mistake at West Brom, he's been a very safe pair of hands. 
Yeah, I, I think uh, was it the QPR game? Uh, sorry, the Forest game. Um, I think it might have been that. I, what, so, like you say, the, the dominance of his box and just the way he comes out and catches mm. crosses. I mean, it's, you'd think that's quite a, you know a straightforward thing for a goalkeeper, but we can attest to that. Is, that isn't certainly not the ones that Derby seem to sign. They they don't they don't do that. So uh, it, as you say, you know, a, a solid a solid goalkeeper is always always a good start. And then obviously you can't really go talk about QPR without mentioning Charlie Austin. Um, obviously came back last season it was a revelation he, he's he scored some goals this season as well Ian um, him and Landon Dykes of course um, another one who Derby was sniffing around before QPR got his signature they they come across to me as okay they might not get 25 uh, goals a season now but you know they're good for 10-15 a season and if you've mm. got two strikers that can do that you're always in with a chance of being up there yeah definitely uh, um, I think Austin, I mean, Austin's a folk hero at QPR. He is. He's. I mean, he's he's record since he's joined the club and two spells. I think he scored sixty goals in one hundred and twelve or one hundred and fifteen games or something. It's, it's quite extraordinary how many goals his record. Um, his goal against Luton on Friday was his first, only his second in the championship this year. He's had a bit of a bit of a drought. Um, he's had a few personal issues off the field, and you know he's just looked short of confidence and you know not the player he was. In many ways, to pay a people feared they'd re-signed last year, if that makes sense, because obviously he hadn't really pulled up any trees at West Brom. Um, but when he came back to the Rangers, he, he, he was outstanding. But I just think as well, he lifted the place. His, his, you know, his character and the way he is kind of galvanised, you know, the dressing room. And there's a lot of young players there, and he's he was he was great. And since they signed him, he he, he hasn't looked as good as he did last year. It has to be said. But, you know, it, it, with Dykes and Andre Gray there as well, there is a kind of, you know, a good kind of selection of strikers. But as I said before, you know, the keys really are, you know, Chair and Willock. They're, they're kind of, they feed the strikers. And it almost it doesn't really matter who's up front. If those two are playing, then, you know, Rangers are going to be in, they're going to win more games than they lose. Well, we'll move on before we start. Talking about tactics and looking at the actual game on Monday, we we have to mention a word about Mark Warburton. Mark Warburton, Ian Corey, you'll agree, a, a manager's who, whose name is linked with obviously experience. How well he did at Brentford, how well you know he did well at Rangers. Obviously had a trip down the A52 and didn't didn't do so well. We're talking. We were talking earlier about obviously the stabilisation of QPR. How important do you think it's been to have somebody with that experience who probably came into QPR? with a bit of a blemish record, but he, he came in, he obviously, he doesn't stop being a bad manager overnight. You know, there's nothing like that. A, a calming influence, obviously something that Derby's going through at the minute, but we went for a foreign manager and then obviously an up, a new start with, in, in Wayne Rooney. How important do you think it has been to QPR to have somebody who you know is, has got the experience to, to get them through that patch of the last two or three years? Yeah, I think it was um, a very sensible appointment. Um, Previous appointments haven't been. And interestingly, this is the first appointment that Les Ferdinand actually made because decisions were made by the board to bring in names like Jimmy Hasselbank, um, you know, Ian Holloway that weren't really the right appointments. What Rangers needed at the time was Steve McLaren as well. Wasn't really the right man. It was a name appointment, which, you know, Steve McLaren's a great coach, but as a manager, he's... You know, I mean, you guys can 
probably comment oh, on that as well. We did it, we did it three times. Yeah. <laughs> at least um, you only did it the once. Yeah, yeah. But um but he was he was the right man at the right time. They they when he was appointed that a lot of players leave because they're out of contract. So there's a lot of young players coming through. Warburton's sort of known for you know developing young players, but he's also a very hands-on manager. There's very few managers that actually take training and control training and so he's he's very, very hands-on, but he's also very hands-on in other parts of the club, the academy, speaking to the coaches. And um, you know, deal with him quite regularly. He's actually a very decent man as well. Very, very level-headed, very polite, you know, remembers your name, which is a journal, you always like that. Um, but he, you know, he's very calm, ne- never gets up, never gets down. Um insists his side play, you know, the certain way, wants that, demands that. And won't compromise on that. And I think in previous roles, that's been kind of lampooned. I think he's been a, accused of not having a plan B. You haven't got plan B, do plan A better and all this kind of stuff. But it's almost no, it's no shame to get sacked by Forrest. Forrest goes through managers so regularly. It's almost like a badge of honour. Um, he did okay up at Glasgow Rangers in the position they were in at the time. He kind of stabilised them and helped galvanise them. You know, and a role he played in getting Brentford to where they are is sort of, um, you know, always gets trotted out as well. But um, like all managers, he has his faults. You know, there's kind of, he is can be sometimes a bit slow with substitutions. I think he's got better at that. But um, but for what Rangers need at the time, what they sort of need now, he's perfect for them. Whether he's the right man to get them up, it's an unknown. He's never got a team promoted from the uh, the championship before. So, that remains to be seen, but but by and large, he's he's been you know an excellent appointment, and you know the way that Rangers have progressed over the last three years, you know they're finishing, they're showing genuine signs of progress. Whereas before, it's just survival. Stay where you are. They were wedded to being sixteenth every year, not going to go up, not going to go down. But now you're actually seeing signs of. I think they were twelfth in his first season, ninth last season, not eighth or ninth last season, and this season, you know, been in the top six all year. So you're actually seeing some sort of progression. So it's been good so far. It has it has been a you know a key appointment and um, exactly what QPR needed. Yeah, for sure, Ian. I've always looked at Mark Warburton, like we said, as a one of those championship managers that sticks around. But you know, he has his critics, but he always gets the job done. And, and you know, that's the that's the that's the that's the proof in the pudding. Really, is when you look at the league table and you go, "Wow, QPR is sixth, really?" Because again, like you say, QPR traditionally for years have been that twelve to sixteen kind of range, and you're just like, "Yeah, it's QPR." and this is not to be rude to QPR fans, you just yeah. from the outside and you go mid-table championship team, yeah. have a good season, 12 to 16 is about kind of where they are. And you look at the table now in the six. So, you know, that continuity, that continuing to build that foundation that you spoke about earlier, it's good to see them maybe start to come to fruition with, with Warburton and, and he's, he's got a fantastic track record at this level. And just an aside on that as well. He, I mean, he was very, very close to getting, getting sacked last Christmas. They were on a terrible run of form. I think they were, Hadn't won in 10 or 11 games. And um, it was a dreadful, two dreadful games. They played Wickham and were awful. And, you know, letting a late goal to draw one all, which is more than Wickham deserved. Wickham should have won the game. And then lost 2-0 at home to Swansea. And Swansea didn't get it out of second gear. I think that was Boxing Day last year. It looked like, he really looked like he was going to get bumped. And um, what kind of saved him? They got a result at Norwich, of all places. Got played off the park by Norwich, but managed to sneak a one-all draw, and that basically saved his job. Brought the players in in January, so I guess it's kind of credit to the club as well for not pushing the, you know, the panic button and 
you know, clubs in the championship, sack a manager, you lose five games, you get sacked. And it is a kind of, I've always said, sacking manager mid, mid-season rarely works, rarely works. Yeah, so, it might work for a couple of games, but not not for the longer term. And that's what just happens. Your squad gets bloated because the manager comes in, he wants that player, and you've got the manager before his old players, and the manager before that's players. And before you know it, you've got a 50-man squad, and it's a big wage that's, bill. That's very similar to what happened at Derby. Obviously, when Frank Lampard came in, they opened the checkbook, didn't they, Jason? And they signed a bunch of players, and now we're, what, two and a half years removed from Frank Lampard, and none of those players are at Derby. And a lot of the players he brought in papered over the cracks of issues that we're starting to see now. And then, you know, his spending basically hamstrung Kaku. Uh, mm. And we went to Rooney. We've had transfer embargoes and that kind of stuff. And so it's just years of, like you said, you've had managers that have come in, McLaren, Clement, Rowett, McLaren again, McLaren again, McLaren a fourth time. <laughs> I don't know how many times McLaren's been at Darby. He's just like, you're just always there. He got, <laughs> he got removed by the administrators he had and then became an independent consultant working for Darby. <laughs> Two days later, it's like, Christ, man, he just told you to leave. And he just got <laughs> back door and's like, I'm still here. Okay, fine. And, and, and so you, you get that and you're seeing that at Darby. So hopefully, you know, when you get some stability in there, like you say, you can't have 50 players, not in the championship. Um, and even, you know, Chelsea have 50 players and they can't even use them all for God's sake. So it's just, you're just killing people's careers and having a bloated squad. Um, moving on, Ian, tactically, we already, you already mentioned it a little bit. Uh, three at the back for QPR. Uh, tactically, with the three at the back, how does he set up uh, Warburton? Does he have wingbacks that go down bottom of the line or does he have a traditional five in midfield? No, they very much rely on the two wingbacks, um, Lee Wallace. I mean, they've had lots of injuries at wingbacks. Lee Wallace, who was signed from Warburton, brought him in from Glasgow Rangers. And he's the fastest, slowest man I've ever seen. <laughs> he really is. He's kind of 34, but... I don't know how he does it. He just gets there. You think, you know, he was he had a pretty average first season when he signed a lot of injuries and that, but he he really was excellent last season when in the second half of the season, but he's just back from injury. So he'll be the left wing back. And then the right wing back, it's a combination of Moses or the Badjo, who they brought in from Sheffield Wednesday in the summer. And, um, or Albert Adoma has been playing there recently. who's definitely more of a winger than a wing back. So the wingbacks play very high up the field. Um, and teams have had success against QPR. I've got in sort of down the sides, down the channels. Uh, for all Dickie's, you know, talents and aerial ability and ability on the ball, he doesn't, he's not the quickest. So teams that have had success, um, you know, getting in them side channels just down, down on the um on that right side of the of the range of defences have caused problems. Uh teams that um, press from the front, of course, Rangers problems as well. That's generally been a bit, a bit of a bet noir for them because they like to play out from the back. But teams that press and press in midfield, don't give them time on the ball, have you know have had success against them. So that's really. But how Rangers beat teams is they just move the ball so fast. It's they ping it around in midfield. Um, the the wing backs push on, balls into the box. You know that's that's really you know how they play. You, you talked about the 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 ability of Chris Willock and the the ability of Elias Chair, and and oftentimes you see this is just general statement. You often see sometimes with some of these creative midfielders who are a little bit more diminutive than you know other other players in this division. For instance, Ravel Morrison at Derby. You kick Ravel Morrison 10, 15 minutes into a football match, and you you kind of get him off his game, stick him with a couple hard tackles. 
he will not be, I wouldn't say interested, but he won't have the same mm. effect as, as what he would if people didn't get in his face and kind of ride him with tackles and things like that. How do you stop Elias Chair and Chris Willard? Do you, do you kick him? Do you put two men on him? How do you do it? I think you just don't let him get the ball, really. I mean, Derby, Derby at um, Loftus Road last year beat QPR and they were good value for it as well. Um, it's a terrible game, but Derby deserved to win. I think with Shinny in middle and midfield had a really good game and, you know, didn't give, didn't give Rangers, Rangers didn't see much of the ball and they struggled with it. Again, and if you pack the midfield and just, just put, put men on the chair and on Willett, that's basically how to stop QPR. It's easier said than done because, you know, chair, he is small, but he isn't one of those players, you kick him, he'll come back. He always wants the ball. He always, you know, Willett, on the other hand, can drift out of game sometimes. If he gets quiet, you, you know, he can. But the chair's biggest strength is he always wants the ball. He's always looking for the ball. He's always, you know, running into space, picking up pockets of spaces. You know, I hate that phrase, but <laughs> it's a common day phrase, isn't it? Picking up pockets of space. But you, you get what I mean? He'll, he'll, he'll move into kind of, he doesn't just play a centre. He'll, you know, pop up left, pop up right. Um, that's how you beat Rangers. And I think, you know, Rooney and um, Liam Rosenia, they'll just look, I think if they look back at the, what they did, the last time the sides met and probably think, well, we've done that once. That's the way to beat QPR because not many teams beat QPR in the second half of last season, you know. Derby and, and Huddersfield, who, you know, Rangers will play on Wednesday, obviously, before they, they go to Derby, the two sides that have caught, that they caused some problems last year by just not letting them play. So, you know, Derby, I think if they do what they did, you know, last January, I think it was, there's a good chance they can, you know, get three points again. And Ian, there's a couple, uh, Jason, before I turn it to you, there's a couple of things off the field that I want to discuss. One is uh, the recent news about the the, uh, the injured fan um, outside of QPR and Luton. I think one person's been arrested, I believe, and charged with that. Um, without 10,000 foot view here, um, what what's the what's the latest on that? Uh, exactly what you said there. I think he, he was appearing in, his bouts appearing court in December, Jan- December the 20th. Um, yeah, again, Sky putting the QPR Luton game on a Friday. Not, not, not great really, because there is a, there is an old rivalry there. Guys. Would rivalry be the right word? But it goes back to the eighties, you know, trouble in the eighties and, you know, yeah, we're seeing, you know, guys that around the ground, there was 50 guys, 50, 55, still thinking they're 30, you know, reliving old, you know, kind of, wars if you like from back in the day and there was a you know a bit of an atmosphere around the place on on Friday night thankfully I, I took my I wasn't working Friday but I took my my six-year-old boy to the game and we went the we come out and went the other way but I don't know if you've been to your way into QPR you kind of got the way in and you got go back towards the Oxbridge Road but there was Luton fans you know chucking bottles at QPR fans and you know actually on the Oxbridge Road there was sort of you know running battles going on and unfortunately this gentleman who was her I, I don't know the full details but it looks like he was hit and smashed his head on the curb and you know now in a very serious condition in hospital so it's yeah it's it's, it's again you know we, we, we're raking on over old ground here about you know sky and you know they pay their money but they choose the games but sometimes common sense must must prevail yeah, at this point you know because normally they switch the derby forest fixture don't they jason from three o'clock to twelve yeah, some of the drinking and stuff before the pubs, yeah. up, things like that. And Ian, one more thing I want to talk about that's probably a little bit more positive for QPR mm. 
Um, Cayenne Prince Foundation Stadium. Obviously, they're not playing at Loftus Road this time. They're, they're coming up to Pride Park. Um, the Cayenne Prince Foundation, they've, they've kind of renamed the, the ground. I believe it was a QPR youth player. Uh, I believe, was it was a knife crime that, that he passed away from? Uh, I believe he was, he was knifed um, and everything like that. They put him into FIFA. How, how big is it to have the stadium named uh, for the foundation in his honor? Yes, it's been huge. I mean, I think the Cayenne Prince was a very promising 16-year-old striker who, in the academy, and um, he was killed trying to stop a fight outside his school. Um, you know, stabbed and, you know, knife crime is, you know, serious all around the country, particularly in London. Um, but Cayenne's father, Mark Prince, was a British, um, I think he was a cruiserweight boxer. Um, and, you know, every parent's worst hell, isn't it? You know, losing, losing your child. And um, he basically turned what, what he called his anger into something positive and created the the Kyan Prince Foundation, which, you know, goes into schools and, um, you know, tries to get politicians to, you know, change their mentality about certain things they do. And um, the decision was made to, the club decided that following the Grenfell tragedy, the Grenfell fire, Grenfell Tower is only about less than a mile from, from Loftus uh, Crime Pinch Foundation Stadium. So it was a very community thing to do. And I think there was five charities that they put out to fans to decide what charity they thought the ground should be named after. And initially it was, it was going to be a one-year thing, but due to the pandemic last year, they they kept it on for another season. Um, but it's been great. It really has. I know Mark, Mark Prince is a fantastic man. He really, you know, very, very charismatic and very you know, someone that you really kind of admire. And um, yeah, it's been, it's been a, a really good thing they've done because I say they could have easily got a, you know, a local car showroom or something to sponsor the ground, but to do it something positive and, you know, highlight the, the you know, the work the foundation does has been, a, you know, a, a real, a real, you know, and keep your fans are very, very proud of it as well that, you know, it's gone to, it's, it's a very positive thing. Yeah, it definitely seemed, it's definitely seemed a right thing to do, especially for, for one of their own. Um, Jason. I'm going to turn it over to you, but I've got a question. Do you have any, do you have any crazy Loftus Road stories? Because you, you tend to have some crazy ones. Uh, I, might have to come, I might have to have a think about that. I have been about three or four times, but yeah, I must admit... I've been to Loftus Darby's Road. Darby's got quite a good record at Loftus Road. <laughs> they haven't got a bad one at all. Um, I've got quite a good record at Pride Park. It's kind of... It's one they of do. <laughs> I'm, I'm trying to think the last time I went to Loftus Road. It's probably about 2006, 2005, maybe. So it is a long time ago. I used to go. I was there before. I was there. I was there more recently. Yeah, you you were. I, I um, was. I'll tell you in my story while you think then. Yeah. And I was at Shepherd's Bush at the Westfield Center. Yeah. Oh, wait a minute. South Africa Road is just around the corner. I'll go see Loftus Road. So I walk out of um, the shopping area, walk down the street, South Africa Road, whatever Loftus Road, it's getting dark and I can go up to the player's entrance and I take the picture like I'm walking in, you know, um, walk around the club shop. And I'm like, okay, you know, I'm, I'm going to get something to recognize my time at QPR. So I pick up like a t-shirt. I've got a couple of lapel pins. And then this guy just comes up to me and he goes, are you American? And I went, yeah. And he went, can I start, can I sing New York, New York to you? <laughs> I was like, yeah, I, I'd rather you didn't. I mean, I don't know why you'd sing that because I'm New York or whatever. 
that's fine. And then he started belching out New York, New York, at the top of his lungs in the QPR club shop. And I'm just walking around trying to get out of there because now I'm like really embarrassed. I'm putting the t-shirt back. I'm like, screw this place, screw this place. I got to get out of here. So I got my little lapel pin. I'm walking up the thing and she's like, do you know that guy? I was like, I have no idea. And she's like, he's singing really loud. I was like, yeah, I realized that. Super embarrassing for somebody that I had never met to just do that. I don't know why that was a thing. I, he just really must've liked Frank Sinatra and really liked New York, but it was like uber embarrassing. And I was like, wow, that is, that is me done here. I've just, I just, wasn't Jeff Cameron, was it? <laughs> oh man, I have oh, Jeff Cameron. Don't get me started. Oh my God. How he stuck around just, just shocks me just shocks me but oh man yeah i could not wait i could not get out of that shop quick enough <laughs> so jason's jason i don't know if you've got a fun story like no that. i i honestly I, I honestly can't remember um any I, I think i vaguely remember getting lost once on the way home um and just circling around peckham and places like that to, to try and get back out of uh out of west london but no <laughs> other than other than that no I, I actually don't and there are some normally really funny ones as Corey, i'm sure you'll attest to but no unfortunately on this occasion I, i've been a couple of times um it's it's nice enough i've not been for quite some time um normally when we used to go because obviously it's London. We used to get there at like 11 o'clock in the morning. And you'd, you'd just have like four hours just to do nothing. And I think the last time I went was probably 16, 17. So just starting to try and get into the pubs and, you know, grow the beard out a little bit. Not It's definitely not as long as it is now. But yeah, try, try and grow the little bit of a moustache to try and get served in a pub. <laughs> um, but yeah, no, no funny stories of Loftus Road. Other than I think every time I've been, Derby have won. So, you know, that's, that's always a bonus. Ian, I'm going to put you on the spot here. Any any funny stories of Pride Park or watching Derby and QPR or at baseball? Well, Monday, Monday, I'm, I'm working next Monday. I'm, I'm up for the game. It, that actually, to my eternal shame, is my first time at Pride Park. Yeah. I've, I've, there's no reason why I haven't been there. Um, it's just for whatever reason I've been working elsewhere, or it just hasn't happened. But I've been to the baseball ground when I was a kid. Uh, a game around Christmas time. It was a one-all draw, and Dean Saunders was playing for Derby. I remember that. Um, that's how long ago it was, mm. but um, I do remember a guy, actually a funny game. Um, Rangers and Derby, it was a midweeker. I think McLaren did well, obviously, McLaren was managing Derby more than likely. And um, <laughs> there was a guy behind me who um spent the whole game just coating off Tom Ince the whole game. Ince, you're this, you're that, Ince, Ince, Ince. And then two minutes from the end, Paul, Tom Ince scored the winner. It was it's kind of... <laughs> Doesn't that doesn't surprise me? That, yeah. it, it wasn't me, I don't think, but it might have been. It might have been, but I don't think it was. I don't think it was. But uh, right, let's turn attentions back to football before we finish. Um, la- last question, really, Ian, is you know the the game on Monday. What are you expecting from Derby, um, and, and how are you expecting the game to go? And at the end, we always do a score prediction. How am I expecting the game to go? Um, I think. I mean. It, 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 to Derby's eternal credit, they've, they've become very, despite the situation they're in, they're pretty hard to beat. I think, um, I mean, we're speaking pre-Fulham, so they've only lost, is it lost, they lost five games this season? Oh, yeah, I think so. Which is the same as QPR. Yeah. So, you, you know, there's, they're, they're awfully hard to beat. Um, our Rangers have, pro- have been okay on the road in the last sort of year or so. Um, I'm, I am expecting QPR to win. I do think, just um, the way they're playing at the minute, they're in a little bit of form. 
they'll look at this and think it's a good chance for them to kind of consolidate a place in the top six. Um, I'm going to go. Are we going? Are we doing predictions now, or just what yeah, 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 yeah? Go for it. Go for I'm going to go. I'm going to go for. It's boring. I'm going to go for a one nil QPR. There's not. There's not normally many goals in them, Corey. <laughs> your your thoughts? How you think the game's going? And come on, your optimistic as ever score prediction. Bearing in <laughs> mind you predicted something that Derby will get something at Fulham. I did. I did predict something. Derby will get something in Fulham because they will get something in Fulham. Um, yeah, I think. I think when I look at this game, uh, QPR, like Ian said, they're in a good run of form. Derby are not bar the Bournemouth game, right? You can't look at one game and say, "Oh, you're in great form because you've played 90 minutes of football." That's been good. That's not form. That's just a, a, an aberration for right now until they put a performance together at Fulham and get that point that I predicted. Um, but yeah, I think with the way QPR are looking, I think they have QPR have a little bit too many weapons, I think, for Derby right now. And Ian's just said Charlie Austin, Lennon Dykes, and Andre Gray is a front three. Obviously, they don't all play, but they rotate through. And then you have Chair and Willick uh, feeding them. I mean, that that's that's scary good, to be honest, for, for most championship teams. Um, Sonny Diang, solid goalkeeper. Rob Dickey, solid defender. Um, and I think that with Derby's smaller squad, I don't think that they can they can continue to play. I mean, look, they'll play on a Sunday, uh, a Wednesday, and then a Monday. So it's still a tight turnaround, three games in a week, roughly. Um, and so it'll be really tight. But I do think the QPR will pit Derby in this one. I will also say that it will be 1-0 um, for, for, uh, for the R's. I just think that they just have a little bit too much. They're in a little bit they're in much, a little bit better form than Derby right now. Um, and yes, the performance we were gushing on the podcast the other day, Jason, about the performance against Bournemouth and, and rightly so, but I need to see that performance against Fulham before I can continue to say, Hey, Derby's turned the corner here because right now people are saying, Oh, Derby's turned the corner, but we don't know where the corner is. Um, we're just kind of hoping that a corner has been turned eventually. Uh, so let's, let's see what they do after the Fulham, after the Fulham game. But yeah, I'm going to go one nil, one nil QPR. Um, over to you, Jason. I think, that, for me, this one's quite hard to predict before the Fulham game, because if, if Derby go to Fulham Wednesday and, and get a bit of a slap in, then we know that actually when Derby have done that and gone to places, certainly away from home and turned in that tetched performance, they've normally bounced back with a result, especially when it, that next game's been at home. So it's a bit difficult. I think throughout the whole conversation that we've had, um, you know, we, we've pointed out the strengths of, of QPR. And I think, as Ian, you alluded to, the way to stop them is actually the way that Derby will play. Uh, they'll they'll have, they'll have fill the midfield. They'll have Shinny. Shinny's still there. Shinny's been the best player in a Derby shirt for the last two years by country mile. And it, it's just like you said there, Corey, it's just, it's, it's about momentum. It's, it's if they can keep going. I think if I don't know, I don't know if going to Fulham tomorrow night and actually picking something up is a good thing or a bad thing because I think Derby tend to react when they've had a bit of a worse result. But generally at home, there's only really been one team that have given Derby a going over at home, and that was Blackburn Rovers a couple of weeks ago, and they tore Derby apart. They really did. But I must say, Ian, from what you were describing, they, the QPR play a very, very similar way to what Blackburn did against us. Quick, one-touch passing, get it down, you know, and just go. And Derby couldn't cope with it. Dar- Derby could not cope with it at all. <sighs> this one's odd. I- I'm finding this one odd, actually. Um, so they never, I don't think they're ever high-scoring affairs. I'd, l- I'd love to say that Derby, Derby will 
keep the home form going. But I'm going to sit on the fence on this one. I'm um, I'm going to go one one. I've just got a feeling they could they could well cancel each other out. I know this is a bit of a footballing cliche, but whoever can get on top in the midfield wins this game for me. Um, and you know, it does sound like that there's an opportunity from both sides. So, so for me, I'm I'm going I'm going one one. I think. And and that is the end of the podcast. Uh, Ian, an absolute pleasure meeting you. Thank you very much. Appreciate your time for the last hour. We appreciate no you coming. Much better things to go and do than talk about Derby and Forest as you're as you're covering Chelsea tonight. Pleasure, so, no, thanks very much for joining us, mates. Appreciate it. No worries. And Corey, as always. Jason, I'm always around. Ian, thank you so much for uh, for taking the time this evening. I hope uh, I hope covering the Champions League your evening gets better after talking. talking. <laughs> no worries. Before the next segment, I want to quickly talk to you about the Fan Hub app. Fanhub are looking to put fans first and change the game, giving back to the real heroes of football, us, the fans. Download the app now from Apple or Google stores and get involved predicting lineups, check in on match days and check your fan statistics. Compete against fans of our club and other football teams. Let's help get Derby County up that leaderboard. Also, it's a great way to get media content from all creators across the FanHub family, including our stuff at the Rams Review podcast for Derby County. Download today and you can avoid the queue using our unique code. Contact us on social media for more details and check out the FanHub app and website. Before we move on to our next segment, we are proud to announce that we are going to be partnering with two amazing organizations this year. First is going to be Flat Back Four, and the second is Six Yards Out. Flat Back Four provide a wide range of club um, memorabilia with the kind of foosball four guys um, on it as well. Amazing clothing range. They've got some awesome Derby stuff, so go and check them out. And we'll be doing some competition giveaways um, and various different bits and bobs throughout the season, so stay tuned for that. And our second partnership is going to be with the Six Yard Out folks. They do some amazing different kind of bespoke gifts, uh, all kind of things Derby County. They've got England mugs, Derby County mugs, and various different kits, and you can get them customized and have old players on them. Um, some really amazing things. You can use Rams Review as a, as a coupon code there as well and get 10% off. Really proud to be partnering with two amazing retail retail partners. So be on the lookout for those um, and check them out if you haven't already. Um, again, that's that's Flatback 4 and 6 Yards Out. Thanks, guys. Enjoy the next segment. I thanks quite to Ian for talking all things QPR. Looking forward to that game on Monday especially, Corey, after the result that we're about to review last night, the night before, whenever it was the night before, is recording this on a Friday. We came out of London. You have to mention it, Jason. You have to mention it. You want to go ahead and pat my back right there? I know, you're right. You got it. Well, you you got the, you didn't get the score right. But we we came out of London with with something and full value, in my opinion. I I thought Derby were, were full value for the point. I thought, you know, of course, it's Fulham. They were going to have majority of the ball. They were going to they were going to pen Derby in a little bit. Second half, which we'll go on to in a little bit, th- that did happen. But that first half for me, um, Derby started the game really well, opening 10, 15 minutes, had chances to score. Uh, Tom Lawrence, I thought, was busy. I thought Tom Lawrence was quite lively again, certainly in that first half, uh, creating chances. You know, there's one or two opportunities there that, you know, another night probably go in. Uh, Max Bird had one. There were some real dangerous balls coming across the box, but as always, there's not that killer instinct in that box to to, to put them away. And but after the first 10-15 minutes, my, my my opinion was it's a good start, but 
this is where them Fulham obviously are going to are really going to start hurting Derby and Derby rode the look. I think I think that's a fair a fair uh, explanation. You know, Derby rode the look at times, but of course the big one of the biggest talking points was even before the game, Corey, where there was a certain somebody who we really brown nosed in in the in the preview, and that was Mitrovic, and he was nowhere to be seen. He wasn't even on the bench. Makes us out to be a little silly, doesn't it, Jason? Yeah, but well, yeah. If we could delete... I, I think you're right. Lose. I think when you look at the opportunities that both teams had, I think the game could have gone either way. Um, and on, you know, one night or another night, the temperature's a little bit different. The wind's a little bit different off the Thames or, you know, different night, different different week, anything like that. I think the game could go one way or another. Um, Fulham had opportunities. I know they hit the bar. I know they hit the post. I think they hit the post twice, didn't they? The bar once. Yeah, I think so, yeah. They obviously had opportunities. Then they had Curtis Davis with the miraculous block on the line where it was, I don't know, millimeters from, from going in. Was um, close. And, 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 you know, we've, been, we've, we've said this for a long time that it's been a while since Darby's had a bit of luck. It's been a while since Darby's had their fair share of luck. I mean, last season we were talking about how they were unlucky with not getting penalty decisions and, and, and balls bouncing strange ways and, and that kind of stuff. And the last two games, Darby have kind of gotten a little bit of luck. Obviously, look, the penalty against Bournemouth, it was a clear penalty. But we're talking about EFL officials. Um, and, you know, basically that's just a toss-up these days with, with whatever's going to happen. Um, and then, you know, you get a heroic block like Curtis Davis on the line. Again, a lot of things could happen, and that goes in. Um, and that obviously changes the complexion and pro- Fulham probably run, run out winners. Um, but, yeah, I mean, really solid point in, in London, especially when you're looking at the two games now in context, Jay. It's it's four points from two games uh, from the top two teams in the division. And Darby are back on the board now with one point, um, which which psychologically is, is going to be massive for them going in, right? You don't want to be in a negative, right? I've always said, as soon as you get to negative points, you want to get back to zero as soon as possible. And they've done that. So um, fantastic. And but, you know, the game could have gone either way uh, with with the chances if, if any team had done this. I think, again, Fulham, I don't want to say they're a one-man team with Mitrovic, but obviously without Alexander Mitrovic and his goals, they are they look a completely different side. So I think from a Fulham perspective, they have to keep Mitrovic fit and firing. Um, I, I still think they'll probably go up. I still think they have enough to, to do that. Um, but Mitrovic is obviously the, the key piece in that puzzle. Um and, and, you know, from a Derby perspective, it was, it was a, a, a lot of what we've been saying, isn't it, Jason? It's, it's a lot of fight. It was a lot of um, grinding out. Sometimes you just have to get ugly, ugly points and ugly results. Um, and Derby, while playing, you know, well enough at times, showed the serious lack of cutting edge that has been, has been plaguing this team all season. Yeah, you're right. Uh, that second half, obviously, um, wasn't as much going off in that second half. Obviously, it was not wave after wave, but Fulham certainly had uh, a, a lot more of the ball and it just wasn't sticking up front. We we were struggling to to keep the ball out of our off, but I'm going to go on to individuals in a second. But Derby stuck to the task. You're right, they, Fulham didn't look as threatening. There's no doubt about that. They didn't have that cutting edge. Um, Mitrovic had been in that game on Wednesday. They run out winners. I, I think that's I think that's obvious with some of the chances that they did create. Um, and then 10 minutes to go, Wayne Rooney decides to throw on another forward player and and go for the three points, which in his, in his interview after said, that's the position that we're in. That's what we've got to go for. So I take from that personally, you know, we're going to start, oh, when I say start, we, we kind of have, 
but we are going to see Derby really going for going for teams uh, in you know during the ninety minutes. You can only do it at certain points in the game, and and I understand that. And yes, Derby have got to start winning games, but still, it's an extra point on the board against second in the league. So I think that's important. But Wayne's obviously looked at it, knows we've got to start picking up wins, and having going going for that, and still looking. You know, it didn't really create much going forward, bringing that extra person on in, in Ravel Morrison. But, you know, I, I like that style. I'm happy to watch that kind of football, as we alluded to last week. And and, and all in all, you know, there's not many... Ne- in fact, I don't think there's any. I don't think there's any negatives, really, other than, again, it highlights the lack of a, of a, a natural goal scorer because a natural goal scorer at Derby's end, Derby may well have been 1-2-0 up in that game in the first 25 minutes. Yeah, I think you look at it, and I, I, I praise Rooney in a way because... It would have been very easy to to sit there and, and you see some other teams do this that are not in the precarious position of Derby. And they go, you know what? We're away at Fulham. It's a Wednesday night. We've picked we won against Bournemouth. Why don't we just set up shop here, get our point, go back to the Midlands and readjust? And it would have been very easy to do that. So so I applaud Wayne uh for going out and and bringing bringing a bit of um Cavalier attitude, so to speak, to try to go out there and get the three points because he knows that the position that they're in. Because it would be very easy, Jason, to look at the to look at the schedule and to sit there and say, "Okay, uh, let's circle the games that we think that we can get three points out of. Let's circle the games that we're not hopeful of getting anything out of." We saw this at the tail end of last year, didn't we? Mm. Where Rooney made like nine changes ahead of a game because he was like, "We don't have a chance in this one." So let's. I forget which team it was. Forgive me because they all kind of run together at the tail end of last season. But there was a there was an opportunity. It was like a, a Wednesday Saturday kind of game, and he rested everybody on the Wednesday to play on the Saturday because he thought he had a better chance at winning. So it's good to see that he's being a bit pragma, um, a bit more cavalier with what he's trying to do, um, and and not just trying to to do a math a math equation where you're you're trying to get points on the board. Yeah, go for the three if if you feel like Fulham's there for the taking. Go and take it because those, you know, that would be a, an extra bit of points. But at the end of the day, Darby got a, a solid three points. Um, and, and, and you know, again, when you look at it, I've said this, I just said this previously, four points from two games against the two top teams. I would I would have took that any day of the week. I think most teams in this division would take that. And so all in all, really good week for Darby County. Yeah, no, I agree. I think that, that what you were alluding to last season was, uh, I think it was the Cardiff game where he rested nine players and we lost 4-0. And then we lost on the Saturday as well. So, yeah, th- these things happen. But, <laughs> um, yeah. And I think one thing it does do, obviously, after what was two shaky results in, in the two defeats against Blackburn and, and Barnsley, it just gives everybody that little lift again. You know, we know the point at Millwall was a good point and should have probably have won that game. We got the three points against Bournemouth. Last night, I think a draw was a, probably a fair result. If that result had gone either way, I don't think there'd have been too many arguments either way. I think Derby did ride the luck enough to, if Fulham had won, then fair enough. But if Derby had pitched, snuck, snuck the three points, I don't think you could have taken it away from him. But that's three three unbeaten, you know, two on the road. Um, and, you know, you look at the next four. Now, I'm not being disrespectful in what I say this, but up until that boxing, not boxing day now, the 27th fixture, you've got QPR at home. Oh, I know we're flying high, but Derby at home are a match for anybody. And we know that. You then go to Bristol City, who have got a terrible home record. You've then got Blackpool at home, who, you know, are fighting for the lives themselves. They're doing well at the minute. But Derby would look at, as you mentioned a minute ago, that is a game that I'm sure they're picking for, to get three points. 
And then you go to Cardiff away, another team who are obviously struggling for form a little bit. Um, obviously, change of manager there just recently. That might that might make a difference either way. But the next four games, getting into, I mean, you're right into Christmas then. All four of those games for me, on current form, are winnable for Derby. Now, I don't expect Derby to go and win all four, Corey. But the confidence is the, the confidence is there. And I think it's actually this four-game block that's the bigger test than obviously the Fulham and the Fulham and Bournemouth game because nobody were expecting Derby to get any points out of them. Two home games, Derby are expected to probably get four points out of the two home games. And you're looking then at Bristol City and Cardiff away. Where can where can they take two points out of those two games or can they win one and get another four? So you're looking at the best part of eight points out of the next four games. Eight points out of the next four games, you'd, you'd snap your hand off for now. Of course, the flip side to that is if, if in those four games time and we're going into that Boxing Day fixture and we've got less than three points out of those four games, it, it just demoralises everything again. And, and it's, it's, you know, it, it's trying to blow the, blow the wind back into them again, isn't it? Yeah, but as, as, as we've said, and we've said this for countless weeks and we've said it already in, in this episode, is that Derby County are more than a match for any team in this division. I think that you could probably count, what, maybe two, three games where Derby's been completely outclassed and outplayed in, in this season so far. Which says a lot about the the, the character of these players and the, the group that we that we have right now. Um, so you know, yeah, all games are important, Jason. In the situation that you're in, I think you're looking at this block of games and you're thinking we've got four points off the two top teams in this division. We can go in the next ones and and, and maybe maybe you know pick up pick up a few more when you when you look at that. Um, Blackpool is going to be a tough game. Uh, you know, I'm excited for that one, but I think. Derby have proven now, and they've proven more than enough that they're a capable match for any team in this division. They can give anybody a game on the day, and that they're going to stay in the game late. And and it's and it's sometimes it's the little things, it's the five and ten percent things that are making up perform that are, that are deciding results right now. It's a ball ball off the post, it's a ball off the bar, it's clearing a, a goal line clearance. You know, it's these little things um, that that are affecting. And I think that the only thing that's going to hamstring Derby from now until January is the lack of a forward. Because when you look at this, um, you've had, obviously, CKR, he's been out injured. So he's, he's coming back in now. He's, he's rotating in. Darby can play this false nine. They know they can do that as well. Uh, Jack Stretton, I don't think he's necessarily ready to carry a burden for a team that's going to be... You, you need a lot of... You need somebody who can bang in goals when you're at the bottom of the league. Can Jack Stretton do that in the championship? I don't know. I hope he can, but that's a lot to rely on for him. And then you have Sam Baldock, who I want to talk to you about, Jason, because... He's been around the championship a long time. Uh, you know, he's not going to set the world on fire anywhere that he's gone. He's never has, but he's a worker. He works hard. He's a tireless runner and those kind of things. But he's been on the sidelines more for Derby than he's played. And it's a bit disappointing for a lad that's only here till January. Personally, me, I don't see him getting re-signed because what's the point? I mean, what's he going to do? Sign for another six months and then spend another four months of that on the sidelines? Um, I think he, he pulled his hamstring against Bournemouth. Um, it, it's the lack of goal-scoring threat that's going to affect Derby. And so they need to adjust it a little bit. And you're starting to see Tom Lawrence elevate his performance levels, which is good. We need that from Tom. We've needed that for Tom for a while, but we definitely need it this season. Um, so, you know, it's just going to be that lack of goal-scoring threat and goals decide games, unfortunately, and keeping it tight uh, and, and, and trying to play for a nil-nil or, or try to pip a one-nil smashing grab is all well and good. Um, but if a team gets two goals, Derby's not coming back. If a team gets a goal, Darby's probably just going to get a point, and and those are the things that are that are eventually going to 
that are eventually going to do them. But like we've said, Darby have shown their capability of keeping it tight and, and, and competing at this level. And so that's really good. So if we can, if we can continue to pick up, like you were saying, with this block of games heading in towards Christmas in the new year period, if we can continue to pick up points, continue to tick over. Okay. And right now you don't need promotion winning form. I know you knew to stay in this division. I got that, but I'm saying over the next four or five games until we can get to January, right? Let's just tick over. Let's, let's pick up, let's pick up a few points, right? Look at half the games and see if we, let's see if we can pick up half the points that are available from the games that are on the table, get to January. Hopefully, hopefully by then we'll have clarity in the ownership situation. We'll have clarity in, in what we're trying to do financially. And then maybe we can try to go out and get a striker that can, you know, one of these veteran kind of guys, either it's on short-term loan or whatever. And I know that there's still the embargo thing going around or whatever, but you would hope when a new owner comes in that they got a little bit of leeway, leeway to be able to, to get somebody in that can, that can fill that goal scoring need. Because if this team had a goal scorer, even with a 21 point deduction, this team would be a lot better off. I mean, all teams would be if they had a goal scorer, don't get me wrong. Right. But this team, particularly if they have someone who can put it in the back of the old onion bag, would be the, the 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 worth of that would be immeasurable for this football club right now because you need that some you need that somebody who can provide that finishing deadly touch because we have so many players that are kind of like nearly players they get to the final third and it looks real good like look at Ravel Morrison for instance and this isn't a criticism of Ravel Morrison but he's got great passing great vision he can dribble he's got a bit of skill a bit of pace about him right there's something about him but then you sit there and you think there's something lacking and that is the finishing ability. And I don't need him scoring 40 yard balls, uh, scoring, you know, goals from 40 yards. That's, you know, that's just not going to happen, but you have to have those kind of players get into the 18 yard box, get on the end of something and produce in the final third. And right now it's the production in the final third that's holding this team back points deductions aside. That's what holding, that's what holding this team back with the points deduction. That's what's holding the team back right now is just the deadly. There's the finishing in the final third. Yeah. I, th- I think you're right. I think, we've seen it actually in previous games where the likes of Ravel, um, you know, there's been passes on and they've not taken them options because they haven't got the confidence in the, in the forward players to, to, to put that chance away. And they, they'd rather make that side with sideward safe pass and, and let somebody else take on the burden of making that pass. So yeah, I, I get, I get fully where you're, where you're coming from. And I think you're right on the Sam Baldock thing. I think it's a bit unfortunate for him. Uh, you know, he's scored a couple of goals. He's been involved in, in, in you know, in a couple of games and he's, he's not set the world alight. He's never set the world, really set the world alight wherever he's gone. But he's, Yeah, we weren't expecting him to, but I just expect no. somebody, when you when you have a small squad, you expect players to be able to be fit for selection. That is the number one key when you're a professional. And it, it's unfortunate. I'm not saying that he's sitting here faking injury. He's not doing a Mesut Ozil, oh, my back's gone or whatever mm. that's happening. Or a David Marshall, oh, my back's gone. I've conceded a goal. I, I believe he's legitimately hurt, but... My point with Sam Baldock is you have to have somebody. If you only have a squad of 23 players, you have to have 23 players available for selection consistently. Yes, you're going to get injuries, but you can't continue to get them. And if you have somebody who's who's got the injury bug this season, let's just say Sam Baldock has had the injury bug so far this season, and he's only up till January. You got to get somebody in that can hopefully continue to at least be picked in the squad to be trying to make a difference rather than being on the treatment team because you don't have enough people to, to swap it out. You know what yeah, I mean? If you, certainly not uh, in that position. We have see, and you get injured with Lukaku. You got 15 other options. Yeah, we don't the county have two senior options, Colin Kazim Richards, Sam Baldock. If Baldock's not there and Richards can't play, yeah, then you have to change your formation and all these crazy things. So you just need someone who's there consistently available for selection, whether they're putting the goals in or not, they have to just be there 
making up the numbers in a way to be able to try to produce on the pitch. You can't have them in the treatment room. You can, Derby cannot afford that. No, fully agree. Uh, right, let's let's wrap up the Fulham uh, review with um, a shout out for a couple of players. Um, it's the debate that we have every week. Kel Roos, Kel Roos pulled off five, if not more, fantastic saves. One of them yesterday, I think it was from uh, the free kick where we all thought Harry Wilson was going to bend it in top corner. Um, and he didn't take it in the end, and it hits the top of the wall, it's Fozzie's head, and Ruse is completely going the other way and manages to change it and, and get down and make that save. Obviously, not something that we really ever criticise Keller Ruse for is, is, is his shot stopping. He came out and caught a couple of crosses last night, um, which, you know, you shouldn't be praising him for coming out and catching crosses because that is just what a, a, a decent championship-level goalkeeper does. But he... Yes, he made one or two mistakes with his feet yet again, but they didn't cost Derby on on Wednesday night. And he looked assured. And the back line, as always, looked assured. Um, Nathan Byrne, I thought, had a pretty good game. Max Bird, I thought Max Bird's defensive duties, if you watched him on that back post two or three times, he was there clearing the ball away. Otherwise, Fulham would have got a tap in. So, you know, big kudos to him. Uh, But Curtis Davis, for me, man of the match, just, just a... you know, it, he's just he's just rolled back the years to say that that man yeah, that Kiel-esque nearly... run as well in the first half yeah. where he was just ooh yeah, yeah. he was just brought back so many good memories. I was like, it did. Look at Kurt go? It did. But for a man who nearly didn't sign, you know, nearly didn't re-sign for Derby, what eighteen months, two years ago before the before the COVID, he was probably not needed. He didn't, you know, it was the change of manager I think that that kept him at the club after after his injury and what have you. So, you know. I mean, hats off to him. Hats off to the defence as a whole. Um, hats off to the team as a whole. Liam Thompson, again, in that middle, didn't disgrace himself again. Um, be nice to see what he can do against um, lesser opposition, if that's a fair way of putting it. We, we've seen what he, he can certainly, you know, he can certainly play against the against the quality. Let, let's see. Can he do something that steps him above every other midfielder that we've got at Derby at the moment, vying for one of them positions. Has he got something in his locker that means he has to play, uh, you know, week in, week out? That That's what I want to see from him. Obviously, the lad's only, what, 17, 18. I'm not expecting, um, I'm not expecting loads from him. But if if he plays again next game against QPR or, you know, one of the other games, Blackpool at home or, or whatever, and he can, he offers something different to what we've got. That's obviously, that's then a great, it's a great tool to have. But I thought overall, you take the point. We all, you know, most of us, you was optimistic with the score prediction. Um, we all didn't think that, I don't think the most of us thought Derby were going to get anything out of it. And not only did they, I thought they were good value for it. And I suppose that's all you can ask. You've then now, as we say, you've then got to move on to, to QPR, who obviously we've just previewed. It's not going to be an easy game. But Derby will go into it full of confidence. Obviously, not playing at the weekend. It's on the Monday night, so it's a it's a it's an extra couple of days break. However, you get them, you know. Thank thanks Sky TV for a change. Actually, moving a game to to benefit us, and and they go again. And if they can go again and put in that kind of performance that we've seen over the last two weeks, a, a positive result is coming out of QPR game. In in my opinion, so you know we're we're happy with that, Corey. Um, one bit of other business that I wanted to discuss for the final five ten minutes of the podcast. Um, it's more finance. It's more. It's not points deduction. Don't worry. It's not uh, anything to do with amortisation. It's nothing to do with failed accounts. But what it is is that something has been put in, out into the uh, out into the world that is the 
Contumers administrators uh, fees for Derby County. I don't know if that's this present in time or that's it's what they expect the whole the whole thing to to cost Corey and. Um, as we broke down some of the things in the last podcast that Derby County owe money to, I want to spend a couple of minutes looking at some of the things that Derby County are going to be paying for um, in terms of this administration. And um, Jason, before you do that, I'd just like to give a shout out to to Kieran McGuire at the Price of Football podcast, who we've had on here a couple of times. He's a, he's a good friend of ours and a friend of the podcast that he uh, he's been covering this stuff um, and, and he's, he's been reporting on it as well. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, it, it's it's Kieran and the Price of Football podcast that have, have put out these these details. But I just want to go through um, just go through a couple of them, Corey. Um, I tell you what, I think uh, I think we're in the wrong business because I'd, I'd, I think a football administrator, um, you know, they're not by the looks of. Well, I mean, I just I just like to point this out these, to you. It's not bad. I like to point this out to you, Jason. You know, me and you, you know, we're uh, upwardly mobile in our thirties, you know, we <laughs> get out on the town and, and have a good time. Um, and I do spend obviously my time in hotels in, in, in Derby when I visit, um, because your shed wasn't built at the time. Sorry, your recording studio wasn't built at the time. I now have new accommodation. Um, but yeah, 50,000 pounds on accommodation, Jason. I mean, uh, what, what hotel could they possibly be staying in here? The the Ritz? I didn't realize the Ritz had one in Derby. Oh wait, they don't. Yeah, that's a lot of money in hotel fees. Hope that, that came with a. That 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 yeah, uh, uh, that that is a lot. I mean, how many hotel know, points did they get for that? Yeah, well, yeah, exactly. Um, I mean, I mean, I mean you'd you, think that if you were spending that much time in a hotel, you'd sign up for the rewards program and then you <laughs> to bring the cost out of a club that has zero money. I don't know. You that would. Just, that would, you would. That would make sense. I mean, you know, this is obviously, this is almost a pounds and pence. You know, there, there's some really interesting things on here. I mean, £5,000 in train fares. I mean, I know the, the train fare prices are inflated in this country, Corey, but I thought that was more for down south, not uh, not for trips to Derby and back. I mean, get a rail card, you know, um, <laughs> that, that kind of thing. But I hope the legal costs are not the challenge to get rid of the 12-point administration well, I mean, th- this is the thing. Is that are they rolling that in there? Because I saw that was going to cost money, and I thought that was just a thing. I didn't think they were going to charge Derby for that. I thought they were just doing that to try to get the club sold. But yeah, no, 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 no. Everything by the looks of it, everything that they are are looking to do is. Um, I'd also like to know who they uh, who the advisor is that's that's charging fifty thousand pounds. Because well, that's probably Stephen. I give, I give them some advice, and I'm sure that they listen to this podcast, Jason, and we give <laughs> advice. I would think most weeks. And yet we're not seeing a penny of the 50,000. I wonder who are they paying for adv- advice for 50,000 pounds and, and who would be getting that money? I've got the answer to that. Steve McLaren? Steve McLaren. Oh, Jesus. <laughs> um, but yeah, you, you look through it. I mean, you know, um, the you just look through the like the accommodation, the quantum of forensics, whatever may well that be, legal costs at close to a million pounds, train fares, taxi rides, there's a thousand pound bill for postage. I mean, I don't know how many stamps they've had to lick for that. Um, but you know, a thousand, I think the last they time don't I have brought email? This, well, this is it. I mean, the last time I brought stamps, I think there was something like 68 pence, you know, and they're not 250 quid each. So how you can run a thousand pounds worth of postage up. I mean, I really don't know unless they brought a flock of carrier pigeons or, or something. Um, but, you know, we joke a little bit about it, but it was always going to be that one thing. You know, it wasn't just a case of administration. Somebody was going to come in, they were going to buy the club, and then they'd go, thanks for that, shake their hand and walk off. There was always going to be costs involved, Corey. 
Um, and, you know, £445 an hour for um, planning and admin. I mean, you know, th- I, that's incredible. Um, and, and, and everything else that's that's going on. But it is... It's going to, you know, we can see. And I think what this, what this says to me is this, this is just more clarity into the weird world of football. Um, you know, me and you as supporters, we go to games, we buy a ticket, we sit there, we watch the team play for 90 minutes, right? We podcast on them, we, we read what's going on, we like them and whatever. But now we're starting to see the other flip side of football. And this is, you know, what we've spoken to when we spoke to a lot of other of these former players um and and kieran as well as well as some other people who've been inside the game they always talk about that there's this dark side of the game and that people don't want to know about and i was like what are you talking about how hard can it be it's football at the end of the day 11 men, 22 men kicking a ball around on a saturday or tuesday wednesday monday whatever day sky wants to move it to but now we're starting to see the flip side of this and, and the weird ugly side of football that that I guess we didn't realize how much money is really floating around in the game. I know we always talk about it. Oh, look how much money this player is on or whatever, or this or that or whatever. But this is the weird costs of things that you don't necessarily, you know, you see that, you know, they're breaking it down to things like in, in, in the Derby County hospitality. This is the price of napkins and this is the price of napkin rings. And this is the price to wash the napkins. And you're like all these unassociated costs that I didn't necessarily, I think, I just, I just didn't associate that they would break it down this way. And, and, you know, Going into administration has a price. It's cost 12 points, but it also looks like here it's, it's cost, if I'm reading this properly, 10, 10 million pounds. I think, million. I think, I think the 10 million is probably just <coughs> the, uh, <coughs> the running costs of the club. I think the actual 12, cost, 12 million pounds. Yeah. I think the actual cost of the administrators coming in and all their side of things, I think it's about a million and a half. I think. Um, okay. If, that's, that's the 12.8 then. Yeah. I think the way, the way Total that you fees look at and it, expenses. Yeah. I think, it's just, it, it, isn't it? It's just a bit of the weird side of football that we don't yeah. normally as regular fans that if your club's just ticking over and people are just, I guess I don't know what it's like supporting a normal football club, to be honest with you. <laughs> no. Supporting a normal football club would be a bit boring. Um, but you don't see these kind of expenditures and these kind of hidden things and whatever. So in a way, it's very interesting because it's kind of lifting the lid on something that I've always been interested in that I studied at university. But at the same time, you're also you're also kind of like, wow, yeah, like you say, a thousand pounds for postage. What what are you shipping there? Are you doing the doing the sales for fanatics or something? I mean, Christ, I it, it just it just the mind just boggles there. It it is a lot, um, and, and yeah. But obviously, th- these guys were never going to come in, come in and do it for free. Th- this is the side of administration that is. They were tasked to sell the club, and at the end of the day, when you're tasked to do anything, th- it comes at a cost, and that cost, by the looks of it, is around the one and a half, one and a half million pounds. Um, which, let's face it, if they do the, they do what we hope they do, um, and they sell the club to the right person, one and a half million in, you know, a few months' time is going to going to be a, a worthy investment i suppose if you if you used to put it that way i'm not sure who's footing the bill for this 1.5 million by the way but um it'd be interesting to see um and i suppose the final point i want to finish on Corey, is i don't know if we mentioned it on the last pod actually um we certainly mentioned that we owed uh, thousands of pounds to st john's ambulance i can't remember the guy's name now i'm really sorry about that i'd like i'd have liked to have given him a shout out but um, there was a GoFundMe page for that kind of, or go for whatever it was, uh, fundraising for St. John's Ambulance and things like that. And I know that they absolutely smashed that total um, by the fans putting their hands in the pockets and, 
you know, that rant that we both went on in our last episode about, you know, the small guy missing out. Looks like this time one of the small guys has, has got that money back as we as we hope that they would. And I'm sure there'll be more fundraising things going on in, in the future. The club, one thing that Derby County fans are not, not uh, shy of doing, Corey, is putting their hands in the pockets and, and putting it towards a good cause. And, you know, I just wanted to say, I thought that was that was a bit of class. As we said, we thought £8,000 to, to a multi-millionaire was nothing and why he couldn't have done it, who knows. The, the fan base of 20, 20 plus thousand have, have done it, you know, in a matter of days, why he couldn't have done it. Um, and that's just another shoot at that man that, you know, is not going to get another mention on this podcast, I don't think. Um, and I think that's about it, Corey. So... Next, obviously, QPR with uh, QPR game. Next podcast, obviously, we'll have the we'll have the the review of that, and we'll also be looking forward to the trip to Ashton Gate and a bit more positivity, hopefully, to talk about Corey. Yeah, definitely, and and like you said, it was fantastic for the for the guy to to do that for St John's Ambulance Service, and and hopefully, um, hopefully, they still get their money from Derby County as well because it does not let them off the hook. But again, it shows how much. Um, this fan base is pulling in, in, the, in the same direction. And, it, and that's, that's a really good, wonderful thing to see that everybody's kind of pulling um, to try to help the club in as many different ways. And hopefully once we get all this situation um, taken care of, you know, Darby will be able to be in a situation to, to, to recognize, uh, to recognize that as well. It does not let off the bills that still need to be paid. Darby's County still need to pay St. John's ambulance with a check written to them. Um, but nonetheless, a fantastic, absolute fantastic gesture. So my thanks go out to, to everybody who, who donated uh, for that um, and, and made that a, a fantastic thing for them. And I think they raised over ten thousand pounds, which mm. was really so. Yeah, I think it was still going as well. Service can 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 do something nice with that money um, and then everything like that. But you know, it does seem, Jason, and it's the great thing that um, there are a, a lot less um, a lot less bad news coming out of the club right now. Um, mm. Like, you know, it's kind of stabilized. We're just kind of, we've got our points deduction. A couple more weeks of, of being under the radar here, not talking about um, national headlines or, or, or big headlines or anything like that and get back to a level of normalcy would be fantastic because we want to focus, again, on the matters that go on on the pitch and, and, and making sure that Derby County is right for the future. So, you know, in the next couple of weeks, um, preferred buyer should be should be announced. Um, we've got a lot of Christmas fixtures coming up. I know me and you are going to be doing a couple of festive episodes. Um, we might have a special interview or two in, in, in the pipeline to come. Uh, so, it, so it'll be, uh, it'll be big, it'll be big things, but um, it's just, it's just always great, Jason. It's still great to just be able to come on and chat with you um, about something that we both, that we both love mm. uh, and that Derby County is still here for us to talk about because there was a few weeks ago that me and you had some co- phone conversations that were not recorded and, and we didn't know if we would be doing this again. And, and it was a bit emotional for both of us. So, um, you know, that's the, that's the best thing. And, and just seeing how, um, seeing the potential of this fan base in this football club again and watching this football club recognize its potential is going to be extremely special um, and realize it, realize its potential is going to be an extremely special thing to watch over the next couple of years. Um, because it does feel like, uh, you know, what I think there was a, there's a quote, you know, um, the night is darkest always before the dawn. So, you know, and I've always said bumpy road leads to beautiful places. If this is what it takes to, to get Derby County to go two steps forward, then, then so be it. Because for 14 years, we've tried to get out of this division. Um, we well, get up out of the division. <laughs> I'll put it that yeah. way. Uh, and it looks like this season, you know, we, we may unfortunately exit it the wrong way, but 
it has helped other clubs in the past and, and it might help Robbie County. And at the end of the day, the most important thing and that I'm most grateful for is that we still have a football club to, uh, to, uh, to be a part of. Cause you know, yesterday, Jason here was uh, Thanksgiving for me. So mm-hmm. I stay, um, I'm taking a break from my black Friday shopping right now. Uh, <laughs> your, your Christmas presents are in the post. If you catch my gift there, wink, wink. Um, <laughs> Uh, but, uh, yeah, you know, yesterday you sit around and you think about what you're really grateful for and, and everything like this. And, you know, obviously friends and family are, are high up on the list for me, uh, being able to just spend time with those that I love, but you know, your friendship and, 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 and this podcast are up there as well, but also just being grateful for the fact that we still have a football club to support the fact that, you know, this is, this is something that means a lot and means a lot of different things to a lot of different people. You know, it, you love Derby County and I'm what? 4,000 miles away from you. And I love Derby County and we never would have met if it wasn't for Derby County. And I don't want to make it seem like that was a weird, like we met kind of thing, but, that's not <laughs> what it was. but you know, it, it's just, um, it just shows the power of football and it shows the power of what one institution can have, you know, positive impact around the world. We've met some amazing people and um, it's just been a really special journey. So just the fact that we have a football club to support and everything like that. I mean, it's been a fantastic week for Derby. Don't get me wrong. Um, but hopefully there's a lot more fantastic weeks to come and I'm, I'm pretty sure there will be. Yeah. Um, f- fingers crossed. Next couple of weeks, it will be, it will hopefully be a lot, a lot brighter future. Yeah. And I think obviously, you know, next in terms of the team, the next target, they're out back out of negative points they're back into positive points. The next target's got to be shutting that gap down to, to single figures. And if they can do that over that next stretch of six games up until January and, you know, back end of January, February, if they can be in single figures or out of the relegation zone, with with everything else that's coming off the pitch, we know that nothing is decided yet and we know a lot could happen negatively as well as positively over the next six to eight weeks. But, you know, at least they're not still 21 points adrift. I think, you know, that that's that's where I'm coming from. There, there has to be, you have to take positivity out of that. One thing I do know for certain, Corey, is that our next, as always with this podcast, is going to be is going to be busy. It's going to be uh, just as we like it, fast, full throttle, talking about Derby County. And you're right; I'm thankful that there's uh, that there's still a club to talk about. So, yeah, but you're right to all our uh, American listeners and everybody who celebrates Thanksgiving. I hope you had a nice one. Um, I actually had um, turkey and stuffing sandwiches this morning for my dinner. So, you know, I, I, I did lead into the tradition ever so slightly. But that's all we've got for this episode. Join us next week. I've been Jason with Corey. Corey, thanks very much. Jason, not a problem. Thank you again for, uh, you know, for, for hearing me rant and rave sometimes about, about some things because sometimes it's just things you want to get off your chest. But I'm just really, really grateful for it. I'm excited for the future of Derby County and what we're going to be doing over the next few weeks because it should be a bit of fun. Yeah, absolutely. And as always, up them Rams. Thank you for listening to the latest episode of the Rams Review Podcast. We would love it if you'd like to get in touch. On Twitter, we're at RamsReview1. On Facebook, it's Rams Review Podcast. Or you could drop us an email, ramsreview at hotmail.com. Until next time, up the Rams. The Rams Review Podcast are proud to be part of the Fan Hub 100, putting fans first.